Sometimes in marriage, you do hear what you want to hear, right? Uh, you don't always listen the way you should. And even when you do everything right, you don't always uh, get the desired response, and you'll still have problems in your marriage because we're flawed people. We haven't arrived yet in heaven. And obviously, there was a man who, at work, he decided uh, several days in advance that he was going to treat his wife to an incredible event and take her out, etc. So he brought his best suit uh, to work. He has a shower at work, and so he shaved, he showered at the end of the day, fixed himself up, brought his best cologne, dashed himself with it, had flowers and gifts. He is ready to go. So he comes home, he's all excited, he's got the reservation at the restaurant, he comes to the front door, normally goes in through the garage, rings the doorbell, she comes to the door, she's got a crying infant in her hand, and she looks at him and she goes, oh no, I can't believe this has been a terrible day, terrible. I mean, first of all, Jimmy had to go to the emergency room, get 10 stitches on his knee, your mother called and she's staying for two weeks coming up next week, and the washing machine broke, and now this. You come home drunk. Um, <laughs> he wasn't, but that's what she thought. Now, every couple is basically going to battle with a little bit of uh, the communication struggle. And uh, what you have in marriage is that it's not only to be a testimony of God's oneness, of God's you know, individual persons and yet one, it's also designed to be a deterrent for immorality. Uh, you read in the scriptures that it's a way to reproduce a godly generation, that part of marriage is the intention of children. That's not always possible, but it, it's the intention. Uh, a source of companionship, we're made that way. It's, it's not good for a man to be alone, you know that. Uh, it's a cause of great personal joy. It's supposed to be not your biggest burden in life, but your greatest blessing in life, and, and really a catalyst for greater ministry. But if you know your Creator... Through our Lord Jesus Christ, you have been born again, you've been saved, then, uh, and you're really seeking to live out your purpose for Him, to glorify Him, to honor Him, you're trying to follow God's instructions for your marriage, then why is it that we experience difficulties? Why do we have troubles? Why do we have bad days in our marriage? Well, you know the reason back in our foundational passages again, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God told Adam, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely what? Die. Now, he ate, uh, and he didn't immediately drop dead, and that was God's grace. Uh, but he did die. He did die. In the, instead of now living in union with his Creator, he is now opposed to his Creator. And he is, instead of being in harmony, in perfect oneness with his spouse, now there is conflict between them. And that's where that all started. And you can point to every marital issue and you can go right back to the fall of mankind, that we are sinners by nature. And Adam it was in conflict with his God and now in conflict with his spouse. And the root of all marital problems, obviously, is that we are fallen, sinful, rebellious people at the core. Now, I try and teach the guys that I train for ministry that never forget what people are capable of. One of the things that you want to remember as you deal with people is, and, and really, when you love someone, you believe all things, you hope all things, correct? That's love. You believe the best of people. And you, some of you are, are you're not just cup is half empty kind of people. There, there's no water in your cup. You know, you're just very negative about everything in life. But really, when you love someone, you believe the best of them. You believe all things. You hope all things. But you also don't have to forget and shouldn't forget that people, even Christians, are capable of great evil. 
Can I hear an amen to that? They are. And even your spouse and even your friends. So I teach our guys, approach things this way. Uh, you know, basically look at everybody as a gift because they are. Everyone in this room can put Christ on display in a way that I can't. In other words, you're gifted a certain way, you're made a certain way to put Christ on display, and that is a, a blessing. And my, my job, even as a pastor teacher, is to draw that out, to say, well, how are you gifted? How, are, how did God put you together? Let, let others see Christ through you, because your giftedness is really a way in which you put Christ on display with the body of Christ. And, so, and then as we see all of him being manifested, then we see more of Christ and less of us. So actually, as a body, you can put Christ on display better than you can as an individual. Even in your marriage, there can be more of Christ as you do that. So you look at each other as these great blessings and these great gifts. And yet, at the same time, never forget that people are capable of great sin, great evil. There's a fall, you know, and again, you, you don't have an old nature anymore as a Christian, but you still have a sin residuum that you're battling with, and it's there, and you're capable of horrible things. So I basically assume that you're wonderful, that you're great, you're going to put Christ on display, you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to honor Him. I'm going to assume that and draw that out from you. And the only time that I'll think evil of you <clears throat> is when you demonstrate it through your mouth or through your actions over time, right? And so at that point, that I might address that. And in the same way in marriage, you want to assume the best of each other. You want to have a supposition, not negative, that they're always going to do this. Uh, but you're, uh, sorry, I get into it. Um, but understand that you would go, you know what, I can see a lot more of Christ in you. I can benefit from that. My, my wife is uh, giving, service helps, uh, and teaching as kind of like a gift mix there. Uh, and when she does teach little kids, it's an amazing thing to watch. I, they just, their eyes bug out, they melt, and they are hers. I mean, they, it's an amazing thing. I've never seen it. I have to always put on, I've been working in the last four years to put on my, my little kid voice. You know what the little kid, hi, how are Because I have this bombastic nature to myself that just little kids are like, whoa, it's a giant, he's going to kill me, you know, kind of thing. And so I, I try to make, be sweet that way. But I watch her, and it's amazing to watch. She's the kind of person that if you were pregnant and you had two little kids and then your pregnancy got bad so you had to stay down, you know how that happens sometimes in pregnancy, she would go to your house twice a week and she would clean your entire house, do all your laundry, play with the kids, organize your shelves, and spend all day there and come home. And she did that early on in our marriage. And I actually stupidly said, you shouldn't do that anymore. You're so exhausted when you come home. What I didn't give account to was this. When she came home, she was exhausted, but she was so full and so happy and so blessed doing what God had called her to do that it didn't matter that she was exhausted. You follow what I'm trying to say? Let her shine in the way that God made her. Let him shine in the way God made him. And you'll be more of what Christ wants you to be, not only as a church body, but as individual families. So your posture should be to believe the best of people but also to remember they're capable of great evil, that no one is beyond that, no one. And so that's what you see in the background here in Genesis chapter 3 as we're redeemed now in Christ. When you look at Romans 6, you know, that, that you're in union with Christ and, and, and basically that your old nature is dead, but you're still going to battle, oh wretched man that I am, Romans 7. And so you're going to need the Spirit of God, Romans 8, and we're going to talk about that in our next session. But we wanted to talk about some of the consequences that we're born wicked, you know, with a nature that rebels against God. And if you're, if you're one of those people that really hasn't been convinced of that, just work with the toddlers at the church. Um, just watch them act, okay? And then you'll realize how evil we really are. 
uh, you know, you know if, if it's their toys and you put them down, it's automatically their toy. You know, I mean, it's just, it's mine. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. The only time they're going to give you something is when it's broken. Oh, now it's yours. Okay, so <laughs> other than that, it's, it's a pretty bad show. And sin is going to show itself in your marriage. Just accept that. Don't be shocked by it. Don't drop your mouth going, <gasps> just understand that that's going to happen. <clears throat> and there are times, instead of oneness, husband and wives are going to, verbally club each other. In fact, someone has said that marriage is like a, a deck of cards, right? When you're in love, it's hearts. When you're engaged, it's diamonds. When you're married, it's clubs. And when you die, it's spades. That's how it works out. But all marriages have that problem. But we want to insulate your marriage with biblical truth and doctrine and sound teaching. And so it's really dependent upon, first of all, that you are genuinely born again. Because if you're not genuinely born again, you don't have the resources in which to have a Christian marriage. So you're looking at the Bible going, we're not living this. It's not working. Well, the reason is because you don't have Christ. So that would be number one. Number two is that you have to be filled with His Spirit. Anything done in the flesh is not going to work, correct? So you must be in the Spirit, and we'll talk about that next session, and then as you build on that, then you need to be walking dependently upon the Word of God, according to the Word, independence upon the Spirit of God. Otherwise, you're going to be trapped by these problems that are very common in marriage. And so I want to expose some of those main issues this morning briefly. And I'm going to just kind of run through it, a little bit of shotgun approach. It's a little bit different than last night. And that would be number one in your outline. Let's look at the first most common complaint, difficulty, and struggle in marriage, and that is communication. Get better at communicating biblically. Get better at communicating biblically. Now, I, I, I like to actually go for the throat before you know saying anything else. That's just kind of my way. And so here's the key. If you don't make time to communicate, you won't. One more time. Write it down. If you don't make time to communicate, you won't. You have to be intentional about communication. And I don't care how you do it. Could be date night, could be couch time after you come home from work, could be early morning, could be late at night. But you need to build into your marriage somehow, weekly or daily, uh, a time for you to communicate. And you go, well, I'm no good at communication. You've got to work at it. That you're, you, the only way you can be one is to communicate with one another. You have to do this. Friends talk to each other. Can I hear an amen? Okay, so this is supposed to be your best friend, and all three of you said amen. That was awesome. I do expect you to respond. So uh, friends do communicate with each other. Amen. amen. There you go. So we're in this process, and understand researchers did a study, and they wired little girls and they wired little boys with microphones to observe the sound differences between little boys and little girls. And you probably know how this worked out. Out of little girls, 100% of the time was conversation. They were either talking to other people uh, themselves or imaginary characters, but they were conversing with them. They were conversing. But only 60% <laughs> of the noises made little boys was conversation. The rest was bombs, trucks, <laughs> bodily noises, etc., and it's typically, that's what they found out. It's interesting, the biggest complaint we hear in marital counseling is my husband won't talk to me. He just sits there like a bump on the log. And uh, what do men say? Well, uh, one of our astronauts, Michael Collins from long ago, 
said the average man speaks 25,000 words a day. That's true. Average man, 25,000 words a day. The average woman speaks 30,000 words a day. Uh, Astronaut Michael Collins said the only problem with that is that I speak my 25,000 words and come home, and my wife has now just started her 30,000. Okay, so... (laughs) That's the problem. She's had, you know, as, as they're dealing with conversation. So you write this definition down. What is conversation? Conversation is simply verbal attention. Verbal attention. If you understood that, men, then you'd understand that your wife's trying to talk with you. She wants verbal attention. She doesn't want a solution. Okay, most of you guys are going, okay, I'm hearing you. You did that, this is what you do. Boom, we're done. Okay, that's not what she wanted. She wanted you to listen to her, to actually hear what she's saying. She goes, but I don't enjoy that. Ah, you must learn to enjoy it, okay? (laughs) You must learn to enter in, listen to what she's saying, and want to know that you're interested in how they feel and what's going on in their heart to connect with you, verbal attention, True biblical love shows interest, right? You're just concerned about you and what you like. You're concerned about her. This is an expression of love. And she doesn't feel love from you until you give her verbal attention. Now, in marriages, the lack of good, clear, encouraging communication is epidemic. But good lines of communication are necessary. And again, back to my submission of going for the throat, you have to make time for this. If you don't schedule time to talk, you won't talk. You won't. It doesn't, it random, it, you know, sometimes it, we have to talk. You've had that conversation. You want to be in the, the, the means of regularly communicating so you don't face that opportunity. We have to talk. You got to get to that situation where we're like, well, no, we're talking. We're, we're talking regularly now. And you say, but again, I'm not good at it, but learn to be good at it. Learn to listen better. Uh, my wife told me, I don't know, somewhere 15 years into marriage, she goes, you know, you used to listen, but now you hear me. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> okay. So I'm actually hearing what she's saying, what she's meaning, what she's intending uh, as she pours out her heart. And typically for my wife and Jean, just a personal note, is that she's talking to me about ministry. She's talking to me about her kids. She's talking to me about her lessons. She's talking about uh, the girls that she's discipling who minister with her in the K-1 class. And, and she's very concerned about that. She's very, very concerned that I would listen to her and engage because that it means everything to her that she would represent Christ in that way. And so we, we've learned to do that. We've learned to make that time. So let me help you to grow in communication by throwing out some obvious truths. It's listed there in your outline so you don't have to take a lot of notes there. But first, tell everything to God first in prayer. Tell everything first to God first in prayer. In other words, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't be uptight about talking honestly to your spouse. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, uh, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now look at that verse one more time. But in, what's that word? No, 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 no. Only three of you answered. But in what? Everything. Everything. And you know, it's amazing. You know what that means in the Greek? Everything. Okay? That's what it means. And the one key reason why we don't communicate as we should with our spouse is because we don't communicate as we should with God. Uh, It's amazing. We don't pray to the Lord about what we're about to say to each other. You know, uh, talk to the Lord about your marital issues. And really leave them there and trust Him with them. Your conversation will overflow with Christ. 
His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, when you actually are engaged in prayer, ask Him to give you understanding ears and a compassionate heart. I'm talking to men here. And when you get that, uh, you know, I've got to say something to him or her, uh, pray about it first. In fact, even help each other. Have, we, have you prayed about this? Has you, have you made this a matter of prayer? Because if you didn't, you're not going to be in God's will, you're not going to be in the Spirit, and it's not going to be good. So at the very least, communing with God will tenderize your heart so that what you say will be a little bit more Christ-like, and often prayer will cause you to change what you say. I find that when I pray about stuff, it, 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 typically I end up not saying anything at all. Now, the thing that really bothered me was something that I needed to take to him, not to her, if that makes sense. And then he resolves that in my own heart. Uh, but I find communing with God causes me to actually really put a guard over my mouth. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. You can't see that in the English but in the Greek, it literally is this. Cast all your anxiety upon Him because He anxieties for you. It's the same word. It's the same word for anxiety. is the same word for care there in the Greek language. And what he's saying is that to the level of your anxiety, God cares for you. There isn't any anxiety that God's like, whoa, ho, ho. it's like not going to be overwhelming. He's going to be entering in exactly where you're at. Uh, learn to speak honestly is the second one. That's a charge in first, excuse me, Ephesians 4.25. Laying aside falsehoods, speak what? Truth. Speak truth to one another uh, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Wives say, well, what if my husband gets defensive when I tell him how I feel about his habits, withdrawing even more from me? Men say, if I tell my wife I'm frustrated, she's going to accuse me of having a one-track mind. Uh, sometimes we get upset, we get defensive when our spouse speaks honestly, at least I do. And so, being the fearless, forthright, outspoken, born activist that I am, sometimes I respond by saying nothing at all. So there you go. Uh, and at times, don't we all submerge our feelings, right? Don't we just kind of keep them in check? And sometimes that's a good thing that you keep that before the Lord. Sometimes it's a bad thing because you allow things to begin to build up between you. Uh, remember a long time ago, there was this thing called a TV set? Remember that? TV set, not a wall panel. Anybody remember? Know what I'm talking about? Nod just a little bit if you know. Okay, we're aging ourselves now. And there used to be shows on TV, you know, Gilligan's Island, you know, all that kind of really important stuff. And there was a show called Candid Camera. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So they set up this scenario where they, you know, they do embarrassing things and then they photograph you and then they, everybody laughs at everybody else's expense. And so there's this guy and he sits up on a counter and everybody next to him gets a burger and fries. So what he's doing is he, he actually is sitting at the counter. He's got nothing in front of him or a little sandwich or whatever. And he's eating the French fries off the guy's plate next to him. And they're filming this, you know, getting people's reactions. What's well, amazing, about, and people are like, you know, appalled, they're whatever. Only one person in ten actually says anything. And the reason for that is because we don't want to engage in something that's going to raise a conflict, Right? Right? I mean, some of us, you know, you see a, oh, never mind, I'm going to get political. Never mind. All right, so, you know, you just, you, I'm just going to move on. And uh, when someone tries to move beyond counterfeit peace, when a husband or wife finally gets tired of never discussing you know, misunderstandings, etc., and uh, what happens is uh, never in airing their frustrations, never disclosing their hurt feelings, all chaos can kind of break loose at first. This is tough stuff that we're talking about here. I remember the first time I decided that I was going to be deeply honest with Gene. I did lack good communication skills, common sense. 
I wasn't really good at conversation, and instead of triggering the conversation I wanted, I turned my sweet little golden lab into a raging pit bull, okay? And she let me have it with her eyes ablaze her ears were back, and uh, man, uh, and looking back, I deserved everything she said to me because it was so tactless what I said. Anybody with me on this? Okay, interesting. You know what the difference between a woman... Uh, uh, who's struggling with her hormones and a, and a pit bull, right? You know the difference? Lipstick. So, um, <laughs> anyway, bad mistake on my part. At first, I thought, man, that's the last time I'll ever be honest with her. Uh, but after many frustrating attempts with a strong desire for both of us to be honest and non-defensive, we began to learn how to say, well, this is what you did, how it made me feel, and we, we began to communicate a little bit more non-threatening to one another. Uh, we, we stopped being hint droppers and guilt trippers. Uh, even just this week, yesterday even, um, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was saying, no, I didn't take the, the, the sunscreen from you. You have the sunscreen. She goes, no, I gave it to you. You have the sunscreen. I look at my backpack, I've got the sunscreen, you know, and then... <laughs> And then, uh, you know, I, there were receipts, we keep our receipts, and so, you know, I, I, I swore I gave her the receipts, and I tell her, you know, you have the receipts, you have them somewhere, she's checked everywhere, and I look at my backpack, and there are the receipts. So, um, and, and I just said, I'm sorry, I, I blew it, you know, and it's, uh, now I'm, I, I got a good excuse now, senality, so it's, it's working for me. But too many couples are just hint droppers, and, and so we would talk about how we feel about what they said uh, to not threaten one another. This is how I responded emotionally to what you said and why it kind of upset me. And then a lot of times if we have a real big issue to talk about in the early days, we would say, well, here's my sin. Here's my sin. Here's my sin. Now here's something I'm struggling with, I, with you. So we'd always talk about my failings before I'd talk about her one fail, right? So you kind of set the platform of reminding each other that I'm a crusty sinner awaiting for heaven, not perfect. I'm in this process. I want to grow to be like Christ, but I'm in this with you, and, and here's something that I'm just wondering about. Can you help me with it kind of thing? Really trying to lay a foundation of humility before you begin to address those issues. So, you know, the third thing that I would say is to commit with, with uh, speaking with self-control. Uh, and that would be a key in Psalm 141, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. Biblically, there's no excuse for a short fuse. There really is not. There's no excuse for explosions. You can control your speech. You can wait. You've got to figure that out. Sometimes you need to cool down somewhere. Sometimes you need to go outside. Sometimes you need to go to the restroom, lock yourself in a bedroom, whatever. Not forever, but just enough time to cool down. And the oneness is found when you control your speech and yield to the indwelling Holy Spirit. Again, nothing good is accomplished in the flesh. Nothing good is accomplished in the flesh. In your strength, you are a time bomb. In the Spirit, you have some contribution to make. And in the Spirit, you can say hard things. But you've got to control your speech. So how do you do that? Well, um, begin to think through Ephesians 4.29, and I've got a few items there. One is a self-controlled tongue contains words that build up. You want to be building. And building doesn't always mean that it doesn't talk about difficult issues. It just means that you should be uh, communicating to one another in an edifying way, a building up way. It says in Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for what? Thank you, all two of you. Edification. Okay, Micah, we've got to train them. Okay, they've got to, we've got to get a little more charismatic, a little more... <laughs> 
you know, culturally get, get into it here, folks. Uh, so respond. It is a fact, though, that in the first decade of marriage, if your comments of insult or sarcasm, and some of you are super gifted, I believe in the gift of sarcasm, I do. It's from First Fleshalonians, you've heard it. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I just, I think it's, you know, fun in life is great and trying to, you know, in, in, in the way this world is, it's, it's sarcasm is just an expression of humor, it can be. But if, if, the, if, if it's excessive, if in other words, if you're five or fewer, they did a, a, basically a survey of 100 couples and they, then they talked about 100 comments and then if five or less of those 100 comments were put downs, those couples did okay. But when it exceeded 10 or more out of 100 comments in that first 10 years, those couple, none of those couples survived. In other words, you can't just keep nipping away, you know, and sometimes sarcasm contains an element of truth. So you've got to be careful that you're chewing away at someone. You should be building them up. There should be words of encouragement. Uh, they can be like a cancer that eats away at your marriage. So be careful that, you know, it's not, I'm not saying you can't be, have fun with each other and tease each other, but it can't be so much that there's no building, there's no strengthening, there's no appreciation. Um, and it's okay that sometimes they hurt. Even in ministry, um, I find that I can say things to people in my church if they know that I love them. I had a one man, he's a, <clears throat> about 6'6", six, six, he's a very big guy, and he spent his entire life as a Christian intimidating other Christians. His entire life. So he would just kind of talk down at you because he was so tall, and he would go, bum, 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 you know, and everyone, oh, they all kowtow. And I'm kind of used to that, um, and so he pulled that on me about my second year in ministry at, at, at FBC, and I looked up at him, because he's way up there, and um, it's actually 6'8", and um, I said uh, his name, I said, are you trying to intimidate me? And I smiled. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And I said, you know what, you don't ever have to do that. I respect you. I love you. I trust you. I, I know your judgment. I know how you're built. I know Christ in you. You never have to treat people that way ever again. And you know what? He's never done it again. You can say hard things to people if they know you care about them. And he's a wonderful man. And if you want to know about fishing, he's your guy. Okay? So, I mean, you know, plus he's a, a, an incredible servant, an amazing godly guy, but he just had this habit. His whole, and no one ever stopped him. No one. Until we just said, you know, you don't need to do that. You don't need to talk to people that way. You talk to them this way, they'll love you, they respect you, we do. That's how we function, we honestly, to one another. Uh, Self-controlled tongue needs to be well-timed. This is where men make our biggest mistakes. 429 says, according to the need of the moment. You see that there? That it may give grace. You see the need of the moment? You want to circle that. Need of the moment. You come home and she's wrestling with five and a half little ones. It's chaos and you're going, honey, I've got to talk to you about this. Bam! Bad timing, Bubba. Okay, you're going to pay for that. You're going to pay. You've got to wait. You've got to wait for the moment where you can sit down eye to eye and talk about things that matter. You need to be well-timed. That's just common courtesy. It's love. And then a self-controlled tongue will also listen more than talk. You know, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? You listen twice as much, and you know what James says, let everyone be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger, etc. And understand, like a little poem says, let the marriage, <laughs> let, to keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup. Whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. Okay, so... Remember that uh, 
Remember that thing that they used to throw in your driveway? <clears throat> Newspaper, remember that? <laughs> Those things, and then you'd open it up and there'd be columns and there'd be famous people who'd write columns and Dave Barry, remember that? And Ann Landers, anybody? It's just way, that's all, I know it's way history, you know. Tronosaurus Rex and columns, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, Ann Landers wrote this column about the 12 secrets to a happy marriage. 12 secrets. And when you look through the list, 10 of them were communication. 10 of them were communication. So deep intimacy happens when communication is bathed in prayer. It's honest. It's self-controlled. And you've got to create time. One more time. If you leave here and you don't make time, figure out how you're going to make time at your stage of life to do that. Just to do it. If you don't do it, it won't happen. It'll be random, and it'll be hurtful, and it won't be sound, and it won't be building, and it won't be well-timed. You've got to have that time. And even if you're holding hands, you're walking through the mall, you just need to have that time to communicate, to, to talk over the kids. What's going on? How, what are you thinking? What do you think? Where are we going? What's, what's, you, know, you want to get on that, that train. All right, the rest of them go pretty fast, and this one's a little bit repetitive because so we talked a little bit about it last night. I want to kind of finish it up. The number two biggest issue that comes up in counseling is sexual intimacy. Again, get a biblical perspective on sexual intimacy. Now, God designed this, obviously. Uh, you know, if, if uh, this, is, this whole plan is his plan, Jesus invented sex. You got that, right? Not Playboy, not Playgirl, not the world, not Hollywood, no, not porn. It's the Lord invented this intimacy act, and he actually talks about it. They wouldn't let Jewish kids read Song of Solomon until they're 30, okay? Because it's talking about intimacy in marriage. It's not a symbol for Christ and the church, okay, Song of Solomon. It's about the marital act between a husband and a wife. Probably, my view, Solomon's first wife, uh, which he learned some things later that he shouldn't have and um, went down a wrong path there by multiplying his wives. But uh, it says in Hebrews 13.4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. God invented it and for it to be experienced in marriage as uh, the way it's supposed to, it's supposed to be uniting, giving, pleasurable experience that becomes a creative and special expression of sacrificial love. It's supposed to be an expression of love to each other. And married uh, physical love there, sexual love is designed to reproduce the race, glorify your creator, and there's no area in marriage that ends up causing more dissatisfaction apart from communication. So let me just approach a couple of things about it that we didn't talk about last night. One of the reasons why it becomes an issue is because of unresolved guilt. Unresolved guilt over illegitimate sexual experiences from the past. And Psalm 32.3, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was drained away with a fever heat of summer. Get that out of the way. Confess those things to God. If you're wondering what to talk to your spouse about, you need to make sure you talk to an older godly man or an older godly woman. But you should be confessing those things. Get them out of the way. That's the past. Move on. Build from here. And it may be that you have some confession to make, but I would say make sure you get some counsel on that as, as to how to do that. Sexual trouble between a husband and wife can also be a warning indicator. It's kind of like a dash on your car. It flashes. This area is not working well. It's not you know, somehow functioning the way it's supposed to function. And it really is exposing other spiritual issues. It really is because there's not communication. There's not love. Things are not functioning the way that God designed it. And this is kind of the warning light. And then misinformation can lead to problems with sexual intimacy 
uh, less Hollywood, more God's Word. I, 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 I really mean this. I think it's healthy for every single couple at some point in your marriage, and maybe everything's functioning fine and you're fine and everything's great and it's all the way it's supposed to be. That's fine. But for some of you, it's like not clicking in every front. Then get a really, 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 really solid commentary on Song of Solomon. Get a really, really, really good one, okay? A guy who takes it normative and literal and did read it together. Now, when you're done with a paragraph, don't put it down and expect things to happen, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying read it and talk about it. Just talk about it. Uh, the more that you can be honest about these things with one another and actually dialogue, because the Bible speaks very frankly. So you don't have to take my word for it. I'm pointing to you to the Scripture. Are you hearing me? I'm saying listen to the Word of God, and the Word of God is sufficient, and it's authoritative, and it is excellent, and it's filled with romance, gals, and it's filled with intimacy, guys, and it's a great book. It's a great book. It tells you about getting away. It tells you how to speak to your wife. It tells you all kinds of things that are very, 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 very healthy for a Christian couple. We're so full of what the world says, we really need to kind of cleanse that out and listen to what God has to say and that can be a, very, a big help. Reading a commentary together, reading it. Maybe she reads the ch a first chapter, you read the first chapter, then you talk. However you want to do it, it's fine, but you should know what God has to say about this area. And he does talk about it and it's specific. So please, if I can encourage you, exhort you, love you in this arena. Uh, what's the basis for the most common sexual conflict in marriage? Simply, husbands want more intimacy and wives want more affection. So here are the keys that you need to kind of walk away with. Treat intimacy as your most precious gift. Make it special. Make it unique. Make it something that you, know, you prioritize. Make it something that you care for one another and you, you set it up so you are caring for one another in this arena. And then treat intimacy, secondly, as a command. It is not an option. We're finding an increasing number of couples um, not just at our church, but um, at our, just church-wide uh, in Southern California where there's no intimacy at all. This is sin. Uh, this is not what God intended. And God commands intimacy for inside marriage and only inside marriage, never forceful, always gracious, always mutual agreement, but always. So husbands and wives can help each other be obedient in this by husbands learning to be affectionate, and, uh, and then wives making sure that you take care of your husband. And one of the ways, husbands, you can do this is learn how to touch your wife, hold her hand, hug her, speak kindly about the way she looks and her character without expecting anything. The, uh, women desire affection without any sexual overtones. They desire that. Um, don't just say, wow, thing! You know, you make my, I'm too sexy for my shirt. You know, I, we got plenty of that. Okay, do acts of kindness, leave hidden notes, uh, call her to say, I just called to say, I love you, Stevie Wonder. Uh, put thoughts about her in writing. Uh, write cards. Go, when you go to the greeting card store, if you have a desk at work, you know, you buy 10 of them, and once a month you remind yourself to write your wife a card, whatever. I, somehow speak, speak graciously. Speak, remind her why you pursued her so hard when you were single why you wanted her above any other woman. 
And wives, learn to meet your husband's needs uh, for physical intimacy and ask God to change your heart in that. And again, that older godly woman can be a part of that. So that's enough about that. Uh, but I, I just really encourage you to walk through that process with Solomon because he has some great wisdom for you. Number three, bring your finances under God's word. Each one of these is painful, aren't they? Um, God desires a husband and wife to be one, and that requires the issue of money. Be committed to share what God has given you until death separates you. It's a, a modern trend for couples to have separate banking, separate checking, separate accounts, uh, and they're paying bills independently of one another. It's chaos, and then all of a sudden there's a big issue, and then it really gets out of control. It's a modern trend. Don't go into that. Make sure that you're one heart, one mind with your finances. One heart, one mind. Uh, it's Again, money is perhaps one of the most divisive forces in marriage, uh, even in Christian marriages. You know, He thinks money is what determines the job that he should pick, and she wants location, she wants to be by the parents, free babysitting, and uh, church are more important. He wants to save for the future emergencies and retirement, and she thinks you should give more to the church. He likes to make as much money as possible, and she wants you to spend more time with the family. There's unlikely that you'll be able to escape marital conflict or questioning or struggle about this because we have such different backgrounds um, you know if you were from a wealthy family and the other one was from a poor family I'm telling you it's going to affect the way you dialogue about this what you buy what you don't buy um, it's really going to be interesting and we're born selfish right and so we are going to battle in this area so Christian couples desperately need to know how to follow God's plan so here's these points really quickly God alone gives you the ability to make money. Make sure you understand it's His money. It's not yours. Whose money is it? It's God. It really is. That paycheck that comes in is not yours. It's His. He gave that to you. You say, well, I worked for it. Who gave you the strength to work for it? Who gave you the will to work for it? God. It's God's. It's God's. You're a steward of it. And so understand, He's the one giving you the power to make wealth. Secondly, everything you have belongs to Him. Everything, you know, so the next time you wreck your car, is your car or God? I mean, it's, it's not my fault. Um, anyway, um, I'm kidding about that. Uh, number three, there are many things more valuable than money. Obviously, you have salvation, godliness, wisdom, righteous reputation, ministry. Those are all talked about as, you know, it's better to get wisdom than gold. A good name is better than great riches. Godliness is a means of great gain, etc. Make sure you're valuing the right things. Um, one of the things about money is to just get yourself in a place where you're going, it works, now we can forget it. I know that sounds funny, but God expects you to use the strengths and abilities He's given you to work hard. Hard work, by the way, when you're raising children, um, you want to make sure your kids know how to work hard. Because if they know how to work hard in our culture now, they're guaranteed they're going to be great. But employers die for people who are they show up on time they work really hard they go home that's and they're not on drugs they're not doing weird stuff they're not stealing oh my goodness that is an employer to keep employee to keep you understand what i'm saying you teach them how to work hard and be honest they are going to get a job and they are going to be able to provide for their family period i mean we our culture has lost it you're going you're gonna to have the best employees <laughs> under your care. You just go for it. But understand, the Bible esteems that and builds that up. In Ephesians 4.12, you know, work with your own hands. It's good in order that they have something to share. Why do we do that? So we can give. Uh, this is something my wife taught me because she's a giver. And uh, it's that we have these things. If, if my wife 
and I'm, I'm sorry to boast about her. That I, when I'm around, not with her, I, I, I tend to brag about her. Um, uh, if at our wedding, uh, we were gotten a lot of gifts, and some, we got two irons. We got two of several things from me. Okay, this is how I function. I'm just telling you how I function. Two irons means when that one breaks, we have a backup. For Gene, two irons means this one belongs to us. This one belongs to somebody else. Okay, early arguments, okay? <laughs> I kind of freaked out over that. No, 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 we're poor. We're poor, we need that extra iron. We're poor. And we were poor. I asked her one time, we were so poor as a youth pastor, um, um, I said, honey, why, why don't you want to have these people over? She goes, well, if they come over and they eat the food, we won't have food for the rest of the week. That's how tight things were, really. So, uh, and I'm looking at that, but for her, it was like, if I'm not using it, it belongs to somebody else. So she used to give everything extra away. <laughs> I still kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> God wants our giving to be regular in proportion to our income. Giving to the church is a privilege and a responsibility. Uh, you're not my church, so I can say this with all boldness. Uh, let everyone do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And now concerning the collection of the saints, on the first day of the week, each one of you put aside and save that he may prosper. Some people in this congregation right now are not blessed in your finances because you don't give. Because the moment you start giving, I guarantee you, now this is going to sound like some health wealth guy, all right? The moment you start giving, God's going to give back. And all of a sudden, you're going to find out. My, my, my kids were a great illustration of this. They determined about three years into marriage, they're going to give really generously to the church. That's the first. They just, it wasn't our church. It was just, they're just going to give. And they started in January. And in December, my daughter-in-law said, Matt, look what God's given us. We have more now than we've ever had. And we've given more away than we ever had before. And God just blessed them. He lavished them. There's, there's a way that God gives to you that's almost imperceptive, but he does. He takes care of those who give. He does. You, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's not, I'm, not telling, I'm not a health wealth guy. I'm not that prosperity gospel guy. I'm just saying that God somehow blesses those who give. He does, right? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Are you with me? That is biblical. So take those financial principles, put them into a budget. You say, why a budget? Listen, when you get the paycheck, that's a pie. And you want to have that pie, all those slices of pie, administrated exactly the way you think God wants you to. You're a steward of it, but you want it spent. When we get our paycheck, it's not, oh, what are we going to do with this? It's all spent already. All of it. It all goes to various accounts. Taxes for the future, house payment, bills for the whatever this, that, this thing. Uh, a little bit of allowance for us, you know, in case I want to have a Starbucks coffee. Uh, you know, blah, 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 which I really don't like. Um, and then all that kind of stuff. You have a budget. So you start, you know, if your income's not enough, then you figure out where you cut your budget. But why a budget? Because God wants you to be a good steward. God doesn't want your finances to tear your family apart. He intend, you know, we actually had two cars that were barely functioning, but we saved for a new car. When we first started saving for a new car, it was $5 a month. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? It is ridiculous. But every time we got an increase, we'd increase that more and more, and we kept waiting and waiting. And so by the time we actually did buy or rent or lease a new car, we had actually a chunk of money we could put down to, to afford a car. 
It was that we saved for the future. Does that make sense? We, had, we have an extra account, so we spend out of that. Now we have not only regular giving, but we also have what we call a Jesus account. So when you have a random giving that you want to just give to somebody anonymously or some need that you hear about, whatever, that we're able to give out of that too. So we're always ready to give uh, because that's the way God does it. And I, I'm only saying that to you that it's freeing, not enslaving, to have a budget. You need it. In fact, Proverbs 23, verse 4 says, Don't worry, uh, weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your conversation of it. We talk a lot to our congregation about budgeting, giving, being a good steward with your finances. I'm the old school guy, so, you know, I'm old. So it's all paper for us. We have a budget, and we write down every, you know, check, everything, da, 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 everything that's going in and out. We, you know, have records of our totals, et cetera, in every category. You know, this is for water. This is for electricity. This is, we, just everything's a record. So we have it all down. We have another, one of my pastors, John Plesnick, brilliant man. Everything's electronic with him. Everything's on the computer. You may be the computer generation. So in our church, we go, if you're old school, you talk to Gene and I. We walk you through it. If you're new school, you talk to John and Beth. But uh, you need to have a budget. You need to function by a budget. You need to know where you're at. You need to be able to save for the future. Even, even something that's a dream or a bucket list or something that you want to do for God's glory or go overseas or you know, a, a, a vacation, something that you want to do, you need to budget for it. You need a budget for it. You need to, and if you don't have it, you don't do it. Uh, we never ever spend. We used to hold each other accountable uh, in the early days when it was really, really tight, and it was always really, really tight for a long time. And it was like no one made a purchase, either her or I, uh, past $25 without checking with each other. And we were never the random spender. You know, whenever we saw something we really wanted, even if it was what, we'd always walk away. And if we couldn't actually within an hour after dinner or something go, we still want it, we would, you know, basically walk away. So we always wanted to make sure we're not impulse buyers. You know what I mean? We kind of knew how we're built. And men typically are the big chunk buyers and women are a little bit more the nippy away buyers. Uh, That's an overstatement. You know, they spend a little, a lot, and guys go, let's get this Corvette, you know, kind of thing. So the budget allows you to be just a good steward and to to just say, Lord, I'm trying to do this for your glory. I'm trying to honor you with, with our finances. And that's what you really want to do. You want to have every dime be accounted for that it's done. Um, even in our, our random spending, uh, and I'm not trying to boast about this. I'm just saying this is an area that we were hammered early as a 22-year-old. A, a man sat me down and said, this is what you have to do. Here's why. Gave me all the biblical principles. And I said, okay, we'll give it a shot. We've never stopped doing it. And it, it's rescued us. We have uh, relatives that are wealthy people. My, my brother's a doctor, and, and, uh, and we're better off than they are because the Lord hammered us, and we did it with a lot of imperfection, but we had a budget that we functioned by, and, and we've been able to do things that, that very wealthy people can't do. It's amazing how the Lord has done that, and we're very thankful for that. We still drive cars that are 10 years old. We're not really into that, uh, though a Tesla really does attract me. Uh, so um, anyway, it does. I'm just confessing. Um, so all that to say, I just, I, I, if I could beg you, I would beg you, get your finances in order. Because once that comes off the table, you'll find that you have a lot less struggle in your marriage. It needs to get off the table where it's like we know where the money's going, we function together. I set the budget. She maintains it. I reset it often as things flex. 
uh, and it works. It works. And then we, we give each other an allowance. So she has a certain amount of money that she uses for all the food and all the supplies, etc. And then I get an allowance for date night, and I get the fun one, you know. And, and so what we do with that, that allowance is cash. This is just, we're old school, okay? So you're going to look at us and go, ah, credit card, okay? And I'm like, no, no, we, we, we don't zip zip, okay? So we use cash. So my wallet has a certain amount of cash in it. And as that cash goes lower and lower and lower and lower, I know that now I've got only 20 bucks left or $10 left or $2 left until pay period, right? So then I don't buy the coffee. I don't do the thing. I don't take someone out at that particular point until I get my next allowance. Does that make sense? So I can even gauge my random spending, which really works for us. That's how we did it. So we gave ourselves cash on those other kind of expenditures so we could gauge that and, and flow with that. It's a lot of fun. Um, anyway, we, we uh, are grateful because those, even though we do this, we still have discussions and sometimes intense discussions because Gene would give everything away. Um, and I'm like, mm, <laughs> uh, you know, and, or, you know, I sh yeah, she's amazing, but uh, there's, there's a limit. Okay, so <laughs> I'm growing. Um, and that's where we get to the next one, which the last two go really fast. And that is, through Christ, you can forgive your spouse. And uh, you know what these verses say, 426, do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. So clean the slate. Clean the slate daily. Don't let these things go on and on and on. What he's saying there, and if I could say this, I think you know what I mean when I say this. Do never, 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 never keep a list. You know what a list is? You have a conflict and all of a sudden, you did this and this and this and this and this. That meant you kept the list. No lists. That's why let the sun go down in your anger means you don't keep a list. You deal with it. You keep short accounts. Short accounts. And uh, it says in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgives you. You forgot how much you were forgiven. That's why the gospel and being reminded of the gospel, what Christ has done for you, is so vital to your soul that you remember how much you've been forgiven. So that motivates the way you treat someone else, right? So I would just encourage you in that. And, and you need to understand, for, when I understood as I'm studying these verses and working through Ephesians with my church a long time ago, the word forgive means debt. It means debt. And that's really, if you can understand it that way, when you start saying, you didn't do, you, you owe me, is what you're saying. You have a debt, and you owe me. And you're throwing out, you owe you because you, you treated me this way, you owe me. And forgiveness is no debt. I'm releasing you of that burden. It's, I'm not holding that against you. I'm releasing you of your debt. And if you can think about forgiveness in that terms, I think you'll understand the weight of it. Because that's what Jesus did, right? We owed him in our defiance, opposed to his holiness and his character, we deserve eternal punishment in hell. We deserve, we should go to hell. Any day you're not in hell is a pretty good day, would you agree? So therefore, you, you, you know, he released you of all that debt. A, a, a debt that we could never pay a debt that we could never work up ever. He did that. So that's how we need to treat each other, like Christ treated us. Release them of their debt. And I knew that could be the hardest thing that actually comes out of this weekend for some of you. 
but you've got to release the debt and, and function by forgiveness and really mean it from your heart of hearts. Now, I, I, I've lived on this planet. I've had people, I'm just being very transparent now, do horrible things to me. Horrible. The ministry is not for the faint-hearted. And you can be wiped out in this process. And I've had to release that debt. And I can tell you before the Lord, I've released that debt. Does that make sense? When you do that, you're free. You're free. Release the debt between you and your spouse. Release it. Don't hold on to it. Have the conversation. And, and if it's you being released from that, feel the weight and responsibility of never doing that again. You know, of being that kind of trustworthy spouse. Does that make sense? But release them of the debt. Tear it up. Never keep a list. And the last one, and I, I, really in my notes, it's only two comments, is agree on how to raise your kids biblically. That's another biggie that comes up in marital tension. And uh, if you don't have it yet, get uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart uh, by uh, Ted Tripp. Okay? And uh, read that book. Very good. It's, it's about parenting. It's, about, it's a really good book on parenting. It's probably the best book written on parenting. Shepherding a Child's Heart. And then if you have older kids, then uh, Paul Tripp wrote a wonderful book, Age of Opportunity, for 12 to 18-year-olds. Wonderful book on that. Um, use your student ministry people here to help you, come alongside you. Use them as an asset. And a lo- uh, don't, don't look at them as they don't know what they're doing. And he's only 20 years old. And listen, he'll give you insights to your teenager that you can't even imagine if you just trust the Lord in that process. Your kids have never seen you as teenagers, right? Well, you've you got teenage kids. They've never seen you as a teenager. They never saw you as a young married. They never saw that. But you can show them what a young married looks like and what a teenager looks like that's on fire for Jesus by having a youth staff that tries to live for Jesus in front of them. That's a hugely vital thing. Don't ever minimize that. You need the body of Christ to invest in your kids. You do. And you should use them. And uh, I would highly recommend getting those books, talking about that. If you're troubled with spanking, then uh, Bruce Ray's Withhold Not Correction will teach you the importance of of, of proper spanking. We live in a generation now that people are like, oh, we never spank our kid. Oh, you're raising feral children then. Okay. (laughs) Free. Just be free. And then they get two and a half and they're like, nah, that's a bad idea. Um, Anyway, you know, things aren't going to be resolved in a half an hour TV show. And it's going to take time for you to develop these habits. But part of the seminar this weekend is to initiate discussion that hopefully will be a year-long discussion. I, I, I don't think that everything's answered in this moment, in a half an hour. Everything is answered over time as you pray, as you seek the Lord, as you look at the Word, as you begin to apply the Word, then those changes through the Spirit of God will come. Does that make sense? So this is why we're bringing this up. Uh, people ask me who I would want to be if I were not me, and I, w- I usually say to them, I would want to be Gene Mueller's second husband. Um, because uh, I, I, would, I, I can't imagine. She, she, I made a decision early on that she would be the standard of beauty for me. And, and funny, every once in a while I'll test that theory, and I'll be at an airport, and I'll just say, okay, I'm going to watch all the 50-year-olds get off the plane, or all the 60-year-olds get off the plane, women. And, and every, t- every single time, oh, thank you, Lord. Man, I, what, I, you know, what I got. <laughs> like, wow. Um, but you know how back in the 1800s, you see those pictures of women in the 1800s, and they're kind of, don't take this wrong, ladies, they're kind of plump and 
And that was the standard of beauty back then because that was the standard. And, and now today the standard of beauty is anorexic, you know, and uh, whatever. Um, because culture's setting that standard. And I, and I had a, an idea about 20 years ago. I said, I'm not going to let the culture set the standard. I'm going to set the standard. So you, they say, Chris, you're living in a fantasy. And I go, but I like my fantasy. She's the standard of beauty. She's the standard of maturity. She's the standard of godliness for me. And, um, and that came because we determined that we would do what we were told to do very early on. We felt that it was reflective of the Scripture, and that was to work on our marriage. That let nothing was, we didn't want anything to go by the wayside. We wanted to work on it. And when we found an area that we needed to work on, we'd work on it together. And it was always hard. It was always a struggle. And nothing ever, you know, we still go through weeks where we looking at each other and get charged up and poke each other the wrong way because you can do that better than anyone else. Um, and yet at the same time, so thankful for it. So I just challenge you, get into the process of working on your marriage and applying the Word of God, and depending on the Spirit of God, and areas that are sensitive, that seem hopeless. Maybe you're in such big credit card debt now that that whole financial thing is like, it's hopeless. It's not hopeless. A year or two from now, you could be reverse all that, all of it. Physically, you know, emotionally, communicatively, he's a bump on the log, and all of a sudden he becomes a communicator. It can happen if you, by dependence upon the Spirit of God, you work on it for his glory. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. We pray that you would use your word and use this time to actually change lives. It's not an issue of whether we like it or not. It's the issue of whether you are pleased with our response of humility, of wanting to do what you want us to do in these various areas. And Lord, our desire is to glorify you, to become more like you. Um, and again, we pray this in the name of your Son, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're taking a 15-minute break, right? Okay.